Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Thursday, June 4th edition of Bang the Book Radio. My name is Adam Burke, your host for the next half hour or so, as we chat NASCAR and some horse racing stuff with the Santa Anita Derby and the undercard with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Outline. Going to keep the intro short and sweet here today. I've already done the Betters Box, our KBO betting podcast for Thursday, so you can check that out. Written content coming on the Santa Anita Derby over at bangthebook.com. Have already done the preview for UFC 250, as well as this weekend's NASCAR race at Atlanta Motor Speedway, the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500. We'll be doing an Xfinity Series preview as well here today, and the Daily KBO article going on over there as well. As you know, this and every edition of Bang the Book Radio, presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook, BTB and the number 200 is that promo code, 100% deposit match bonus for the Sportsbook, 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. We bring on our guest today. That is Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Brian, how's it going today, man? All right, Adam. Yeah, no, big day. Uh, The casinos in Las Vegas, uh, not the majority of them, but a a significant amount of them, uh, reopened at uh, midnight. And... Seeing people strutting through casinos again. What a concept. Yeah, right. Looked uh, looked nice and busy downtown and a lot of the strip properties, I believe, opening up here in the morning. So, hey, good to see Vegas back on its feet a little bit. Obviously, it's going to take a long period of time to make up for all the lost revenue and, and everything that was paid out during the whole shutdown and everything. But like you said, you know, nice to see the town kind of coming back to life. And I'll be curious to see how things go with the temperature screenings, given that it's a uh, surface of the sun hot out there again. Yeah, that'll be uh, interesting. Uh, I, I, I really wonder about that uh, in terms of I'm no doctor, but if, if you're out, you know, if you're outside for a bit and come in, it would stand a reason your body temperature is a little spiky. Well, good news for you too, because uh, you know you're going to start hopefully doing some of your live remotes here again on Fridays, and you know, getting some of the advertisers back for your shows as well. So, you know, it's. Uh, I'll tell you what, man, it, it feels like it was a long period of time that was really only, what, about two and a half months. But it is nice to see the town coming back and, you know, obviously missed out on March Madness and all that kind of thing. But at least like you and I have talked about, you know, the NBA seems like they're kind of finally, uh, you know, formally announcing their plans July 31st for a quick little tournament. Then the playoffs, we've talked a lot about the NHL. Major League Baseball is going to have to figure this thing out because they probably won't have a season next year or maybe in 2022 at least the last you know four and a half five months here of, of 20, 2020 should be very exciting out there in sin city oh yeah i mean you know the the summer could be insane we're usually you're catching your breath before football we're waiting to see uh what the deal will be with college football uh but the nba as you mentioned their plan and we've already got series prices up uh, on the hockey now the plans are there plans are wonderful but let's see how this thing all shakes out. And I don't know, kid, you tell me. The next two weeks, uh, you know, we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll see what this virus does in the next two weeks where uh, a lot of people seem to be uh, have not been social distancing of late. Yeah, yeah. How's, we'll that, for a way, how, how's that for a way to put it? Yeah, I, it's, it's a fair question. I know a lot of city mayors are kind of talking about that here lately, kind of wondering how this thing progresses and, you know, I saw an article I mean, today. L- lately, how were they not talking about it the minute it started? 
I I know, man. I I know. You know, it was funny. I saw something uh, from a St. Louis news source today about how they've yet to find any cases from the Lake of the Ozarks where they had the big Memorial Day parties and, you know, everyone was out there on their boats and everything. So, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe uh, maybe coronavirus has been pushed to the back page of the paper, so to speak. Well, well, that it that's happened. Uh, let's just hope that in actuality it's been pushed aside. I guess we'll wait and see here. But uh, you know, I guess one other thing I want to ask you about before we dig into this horse racing card and, and this weekend for NASCAR, the Henderson Silver Knights. Huh? What a uh, what a creative name they came up with there. Yeah, it was like one of the worst kept secrets. <laughs> we, we, we everybody knew that, but I mean, uh, you know, they made a big deal. They did a uh, uh, you know presentation. Uh, got the logo and very much making it the Henderson uh, that, you know, they're entrenched in that community. So it's the Henderson Silver Knights. It makes complete sense from the organization's point of view. You're able to scout these guys easily. The uh, management, you know, get to see them play instead of reading reports and looking at videos. Uh, these guys are right here, the dangling carrot. And it's a merchandising home run. They're building the new arena. They're going to start at the Orleans, and it will be affordable for people. A lot of people can't afford to go to the Golden Knights game. So that's the good news. The bad news is that basically half of the AHL, they're not owned. Those teams aren't owned by parent clubs. You know, these are individual guys uh, with some bucks in smaller markets. Uh, you tell me, I, you know, the Hershey Bears, there's no TV deal. If there are no fans at these games, I don't know about the sustainability of the American Hockey League. So the next three weeks are, you know, it sounds great today. They're still trying to figure out the NHL. In the AHL, the oxygen tank gate receipts. And we're not talking about sports with fans as of today. Yeah, the AHL is a tough one. I mean, you know, you've got a team here in Cleveland like the Monsters owned by Dan Gilbert where, you know, money's not really a factor for him. Obviously, he's, you know, with Quicken Loans and all of his other business interests. But, yeah, you talk about a team like Hershey, where Hershey draws extremely well. And, in fact, they've been a very good team for a long period of time. I mean, they're a fixture in that local community. And, like you said, they make their money literally off of the gate. You know, they don't have they're, – they're not backed by some, you know, big ownership group or backed by the parent club or something like that. They've got attendance, and, and that's what helps them pay the bills. And, like you said, I mean, not not all the teams in the AHL are set up like that. I'll be really curious to see how many of these teams make it. And furthermore, you know, if teams do have to shut down, don't get assistance from the league or, or something else, you know, then you get into the question of affiliations where, you know, you're going to have maybe players from two different organizations playing together on the same team. How is playing time divvied up? Things like that. You know, it could be a big time mess for the AHL. That's something I, I didn't really think about until you just mentioned it there. Well, it's massive. I mean, what what do you do next year? Okay, yeah, you're back up and running with the NHL. Uh, the impact would be if the AHL's not there, the, the, the roster size probably has to go to 30 because guys are going to get hurt. And where are the bodies going to come from if the AHL's not there? Oh, and oh, by the way, the roster the roster size is going to go up, but the salary cap's coming down? Uh, it's a nightmare. It is. And, and it's not like the ECHL is, is you know, I mean, they're going to have even more problems than the AHL because those teams aren't actually owned by the NHL clubs. So And, and, oh, by, and development. I mean, you know, you know, yeah. how are these guys, you know, you know, some kid that two years from now develops into a solid third-line NHL winger, 
you basically could scrap a year and a half of their development, and these guys, you know, these guys, their careers go off the tracks. Uh, it's, it's the tentacles on every facet of what's going on is just it, it's incredible. Um, well, you know, we ho- you hope you hope against hope that things come back to normal. I mean, toot sweet. But if they don't, the repercussions are felt, you know, massively down the road. I mean, what, you know, they're talking about uh, teams will have their prospects just hanging around at team facilities, you know, you know, scrimmaging each other. Or, or uh, they're already talking here. They're talking about the seven teams that aren't in the playoffs this year. That if they return, these guys will be off skates for nine months. They're talking about putting together some deal for the seven teams that missed the playoffs this year. Like one big massive, not a tournament, but you know, a scrimmage, training camp kind of thing, just so that these guys, you know, who have you know great careers going, even some individuals on bad teams, but all of a sudden they're off skates for nine months. What what are they going to look like in a year? Yeah, and you know, it's Major League Baseball too. You know, they've cut a, a bunch of the low affiliate teams, the low A, the A League types of teams. Um, you know, they've released a ton of minor leaguers over the last couple of weeks, guys that weren't going to make it, but they were guys that were filling out rosters and, you know, guys that were giving, you know, these top prospects that start in, you know, high A or rookie ball or something like that, the opportunity to actually play games. So they're cutting a bunch of minor league affiliates out and that jump from college baseball to double A is very significant. I mean, this isn't like the NFL or the NBA where you can walk off a college field, go play in the pro game just fine. You know, there's a learning curve to Major League Baseball. NHL, you can walk out of juniors or college and play in the NHL right away. But a lot of guys do go that development AHL route, too. It's a mess, man. And and I don't know I don't know how that gets rectified. You know, I mean, Major League Baseball doesn't pay their minor leaguers, let alone own any of the minor league teams, really. Some teams don't even get any help from the parent club. It It's rough, man. It, it's a, It's a tough thing out there. Sports as we know it. And these things were happening already, but obviously, you know, COVID just certainly sped up the process quite a bit. College football, college basketball, you know, guys that are, this is their big year, uh, you know, to get a payday and get drafted. Uh, (laughs) We'll see. We're hoping. We are definitely hoping, and, and we're hoping for a better card than how things look on the surface for this weekend at Santa Anita. You've got the Santa Anita Derby. You've got the Santa Anita Oaks. You've got the Hollywood Gold Cup. you got quite a few prestigious horse races that don't really have prestigious fields. And, and we kind of mentioned this uh, a couple of weeks ago when we got the date for the Belmont being June 20th. We kind of said, well, that kind of takes away from the Santa Anita Derby because maybe some of the Baffert horses would have been pointed towards the Derby to later run in, you know, the Wood Memorial or the Bluegrass or something else over the summer. Then they say the Belmont's going to go off in June at a shorter distance. And it kind of took away from some of the luster, I guess, of the Santa Anita Derby. The Belmont's part of it in the, the way they revamped the Triple Crown. But I think a large part of it was the field size is a joke. I mean, this card's... Usually when you get the Santa Anita Derby or a big race, the undercard is amazing. The undercard's a disaster. These three races are, you know, two horses have to fall down to lose. One race, maybe there's two horses can lock horns here. But I think the broader picture is 
that a lot of the established trainers, they've hit the bricks. They went to Churchill. They went to New York. Uh, they, I think, I think they're the real uncertainty uh, in California. You know, where where this got shut down. Yes, it's back, but at some point, a lot of the trainers said, "What do we do? We're waiting for word. We ain't getting word. Give me some word. Got no word. They bolted. They, you know, some of some of the high profile trainers in California went to Oakland and then right over to Churchill Downs. Many of them now now put up sticks in. Uh, New York at Belmont. So it's horse population. Horse racing, I'm telling you where it begins and ends. And this this is the definition of it. A, the challenges of getting a younger, newer clientele. Hey, maybe horse racing was a small winner, that it was the only thing going on through this entire pandemic, and people that never look cross-eyed at horse racing were betting it a little bit, and maybe they'll bet occasionally down the road. But the bottom line is, for horse racing to be successful, it begins and ends with the horse population. You got to give the betters an opportunity to make some dough. These are thoroughly non-interesting, non—I mean, okay, great to watch really good horses run out, but in a five-horse field, it's like a glorified morning workout, and there's no no defined wagering opportunities. I don't believe on this entire card. It's almost to just turn the page. So I'm looking a- elsewhere Saturday. Um. We take a look here at the Santa Anita Derby because, you know what, we said we were going to talk about it, so we're going to talk about it. We'll talk about a couple of other races on the card as well. Friars Road in the post one is 20-1. to Rushy in post two, 8-1. to Shooter Shoot, 6-1. to This is a stakes debut, actually, for Shooter Shoot, who's the third favorite on the board. So that gives you an idea of the you know strength of the back part of this field. Anodor is 10-1 to from post four. Azul Coast, 15-1 to post five. And then the two that are expected to finish first and second, Otter AP is five to two, authentic six to five, authentic three-year-old son of Into Mischief, a Bob Baffert horse. And this, to me, it sounds like is the one that you think has to fall down to lose. Yeah, he's won by open lanes in every race. Honor AP is a nice horse, and they're three-year-olds. And yeah, you know, can John Sheriffs have this one? sitting on tilt, but he looks like a need-to-lead type. His best running in three races had to be on the front end. And from the outside, even on top of it, now Authentic has Honor AP pinned to the inside and is the controlling speed, and it's a son of Into Mischief. And these Into Mischief horses was just, I know we've talked about it on the podcast in the past. Uh, we had that horse last week, in, uh, or we had an, the big race with Raging Bull, one on the turf at Santa Anita, uh, on the uh, undercard, uh, the, the race before, in terms of the daily double, Baffert had a first-time starter look like a monster and an into-mischief horse breaking from the rail, which is tough, One beat him at 12-1. to So watch for into-mischief horses, the sire into-mischief. So, you know, Authentic's uh, just a monster, I believe. Uh, Honor AP. I, I, what I'll tell you, the, the one thing in terms of making some dough, I've actually had some really good success uh, the last bit with these horses that go off at three to five or, or one to nine, you're going, there's no money making opportunity in those races. It's the one that is that good and should win in dominant fashion. Generally, he discourages the other horses he's competing and contending with. So when that horse kicks in and starts to run away, the other horses in the lane get dispirited. So just a general rule of thumb, you can get some really nice exactas 
by playing that one to nine, three to five type horse and play the best closer in the race because the other horses are, I will save this horse and live the fight another day. And they're back and out. And the horse that just is the best closer runs his race and runs up and completes a really good exacta. So, you know, in that regard, if, if you were looking for uh, a bit of a price, the best closer figure-wise on paper is Azul Coast. But I think the one, Anu Dor, uh, what ran in the Arkansas Derby, and that was a horse I know that I'd included. The one thing I will tell you, I love the jockey change there coming to California. Victor Espinosa is a money rider, so yeah, I'd probably go authentic with Anu Dor second. Yeah, Anu Dor, I mean, a phenomenal run in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile last year in November on this track at Santa Anita. Hasn't really done much since. And a really bad run in the Risen Star with Joel Rosario. Um, not a great run in the Arkansas Derby, finished fifth, nine and a half lengths back. But Charlatan and Basin were in that race, and those were obviously two very, very good horses there. So that's the thing. You know, it, it's sort of the science of horse racing is, you know, trying to maximize your investment a little bit. And I get very guilty of doing this, playing like box trifectas and, and stuff like that. But that may be the science here on Saturday at, at Santa Anita is, like you said, You've got these clear-cut favorites that really have no excuse, but trying to find something a little bit more creative to kind of enhance your investment may sort of be the way to go, and it could be the way to go in this race. No, and, and the exactus can actually pay something. I would just say this, though. Anudor is kind of the definition of what we're talking about when we talk about the difference between a 2-year-old and a 3-year-old and the new structure they have for points instead of money points gets you into the Kentucky Derby is so much better than what it used to be where the horse would win the Delta jackpot as a two-year-old, a million-dollar race, and automatically get a one of the gates into the Kentucky Derby. And then the horse turns out to be a glorified outrider pony by the time it's a three-year-old. And Anudor, as a two-year-old, monster maiden win, just missed in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, just missed in the Grade 2 Los Al Futurity, and then the two races as a three-year-old, the horses run up the track twice. So that's the, the difference. A horse can be completely different night and day from two to three. One more thing I want to ask you about with this race, just sort of maybe a technical handicapping element that we can do in general. Because, again, I mean, this, this field's not great. But you look at Flavian Pratt, the jockey who's going to be riding Rushy, who's in the two post here. And as I said, Rushy, eight to one here in this race. Previously for Mike McCarthy, he was riding Friars Road, who's making his stakes debut here from the one post. Instead, it's Giovanni Franco. So Flavian Pratt, same trainer, changes horses. That is that kind of a sign to you? Does that kind of signal anything for you? Well, in large part, that's part of the daily Rubik's Cube. Is, is you know We talk about the trainers, and we talk about the jockeys. The most important guy on the track and when you're handicapping, who's the jockey agent? Because the jockey agent is the guy that puts his jock where he thinks his guy has the best chance to win. Now, that's not always the case because the bottom line is uh, you can get a quality jockey who wants to be on a, another horse in a certain race, but he's going to stick to the guy, the trainer, that's his meal ticket on a 365-day basis every year. He's going to go, I got this one opportunity, but I don't want to tick off this trainer because I'm going to get on a dozen great horses for him down the road. If I don't ride his horse today, he gets mad at me. I lose the mount on 11 other horses. 
So it's not always as black and white as you think it is. Last thing here, layoffs. You know, you look at Authentic. Authentic hasn't raced since March 7th. Honor AP, same thing. Both of them going off in the San Felipe Stakes, which Authentic did win. Honor AP was second. You've got other horses here like Rushy, like Friars Road that just ran May 2nd. They've run twice since March 7th. They run March 14th and May 2nd. What does that matter to you? How, what does the layoff mean from a handicapping standpoint? Uh, it could be. There's a lot of ways to go. You got to look at the works. Works matter. Uh, how the trainers got the horse tuned up, and so you, you start with what you're looking at in the morning. The other thing you could look at is a form cycle. In many instances, cheaper horses, third race off the uh, off a layoff, it's supposed to be technically they're tilt. They're on tilt, right? Third race in a form cycle, the horse should be tuned up and ready to run its best race. When you're talking high quality horses like this. It's all about soundness and fitness. So the class, how you treat horses off the layoff, again, is night and day different when you're talking to the class of the horse. All right, so we cycle back from race eight, which is the Santa Anita Derby, to race five, the Santa Anita Oaks, a grade two race here for three-year-old fillies, $200,000 purse, one and one-sixteenth mile for this one. And Swiss Skydiver is, is... I mean, there are a couple of interesting horses in this race. Swiss Skydiver should win this race, has won her last two races, the Gulfstream Park, Oaks, and the Fantasy Stakes. Winning those at, what, 9-1 to one and 16-1, to one, now she's going to find herself the favorite for Ken McPeak and a new rider in Mike Smith. Is this a horse that, you know, maybe the price is just going to be a little bit too inflated? Oh, no, this horse is going to take a truckload of dough. Now, a repeat of the last race in the grade three fantasy at Oakland is probably good enough uh, to get it done here. The, if you're looking for, you know, again, there's a three-year-old filly. These horses can change overnight. This may be the more competitive race of the three. And, you know, I like Swiss Skydiver. The one thing you've got to be... What I like is the versatility of speed and the ability to rate or to come from off the pace. I like that versatility. The one thing, though, is this will be her first race over the surface at Santa Anita, which, you know, you could take a look at a guy like Pratt, who's just an incredible rider that's run twice at Santa Anita and has finished second in both of those races, but at least has, and, and then, you know, ran a monster race, uh, at Oakland, you know, in almost the kind of the same kind of figures in a cheaper race at Oakland. So, so the two of them are coming back to Santa Anita. The difference for speech that could make, be the difference maker is the fact that she's had a couple of races over the surface. Uh, but beyond that, I, I mean, it's to me, it's these two. Only a five horse field here. One of them is Merneath, I believe it's pronounced for Bob Baffert with Drayden Van Dyke in the mount there. Uh, he rode, actually, this horse's first race, finished second one length uh, off the win there at Santa Anita. But this is a daughter of American Pharaoh. And obviously, when you see American Pharaoh in the bloodline, people are going to get really, really excited. We talked about Into Mischief early and how a lot of three-year-olds tend to be doing really well for Into Mischief. Do you feel like people may overvalue American Pharaoh you know, children because of the name. I mean, we don't have a whole lot of a data set of American Pharaoh horses 
running in these races here because obviously American Pharaoh, not that far removed from winning the triple crown. So do you feel like seeing that may overvalue some of those horses or should we trust that what American Pharaoh did as a runner will translate, you know, for, for being a sire? Yeah, the one thing is, you're right about they, they get wowed when they see that. I would say this to you. There are some American Pharaoh horses that are monsters, but I would say to you, horses sired by Into Mischief, to me, are far more consistent, uh, where they just run all the time. Some American Pharaohs are monsters. Some are still figuring it out. Uh, I, I I get excited when I see Into Mischief way more than I see American Pharaoh on a piece of paper. Should we pay more attention to the dam, the, the mother? How much does that factor in for you? Oh, because they don't run, I mean, they don't run the higher the highest profile races. Well, big so they're time. less known. And and I you know I should uh, the, the the one dam. Well, but the, the problem is a sire can sit there and spit out. You know, a hundred horses a year, <laughs> and the the dam the dam's doing one, right? I mean, there's the difference. And there was a, a dam. Boy, I should I probably could look it up. That uh, it was like the horse. The dam had two of her babies. Two of three babies ended up winning the Belmont. Uh, you know, so the, the dam and a runner. But yes, the dams. But the, there's there's so so few horses they produce is the, is the big difference and 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 honestly the the amount of work and the digging it takes to find out about the dam um is is pretty daunting one more race to talk about here for the santa anita card the hollywood gold cup stakes grade one race here three years old and up three hundred thousand dollar purse one and a quarter mile here and this is one where we've got a lot of data points we've got a lot of races here for the horses in the field, obviously a lot of them have pretty good bloodlines as well, as you would expect. But I know you've got some thoughts here uh, on race 10, which, again, a small six-horse field. Yeah, the, an interesting one is Parsimony on the rail. And this horse won the curling stakes over in Dubai. Generally speaking, these horses come back from Dubai, and it takes them a long time to recover. But Doug O'Neill can be sneaky sometimes. So there's, in the connection, stick out like a silver thumb. It's Doug O'Neill and Redham Racing, uh, and they had triple crown success, and Gutierrez has been two riders. So that's a sneaky one to watch that you might get a good price on, but generally I I pass on horses like that. But to me, it's mid-court. John Sheriffs is the trainer. And this horse, three of the last four horses, with, uh, you know, coming off a shelf, but a, but a short break, March 7th, but three of the last four races uh, with buyer figures that exceed the century mark, which is pretty impressive, and I, I think is the controlling speed in the race, and I think we'll take some beating here. Now, if there's a speed duel, the overlaid price you might get, and maybe it comes down because of who's in the irons, but if there is a speed duel, uh, watch out for higher power. Uh, this one can, I think stage a big run from off the pace this, this this is a race that's featuring a lot of tactical speed and i think uh, pratt's such a smart rider i think he sits back here and hopes for a speed duel and that could be the one that gives you a bit of a price but again the the price will be deflated just because of the field size 
Yeah, I think this one's interesting, especially because you, know, you got a mile and a quarter. And, you know, there aren't a lot of horse races that go a mile and a quarter. And, you know, obviously we, we've talked, we've told that story before about when I had to pick five uh, at Oaklawn and got that one and three quarter mile race. It was just an endurance race and, uh, you know, didn't wind up cashing that pick five. But, you know, a mile and a quarter, obviously it's not as outlandish as a mile and three quarters, but you look at a lot of these horses and it's a mile and an eighth, a mile and a sixteenth, stuff like that. Now, these horses are all older. I believe all of them are uh, four or five years old here. So they've done the distance. But, you know, still, I mean, you start looking at a different style of runner, right? You start looking more towards the closers the longer the race goes. The the really long races. And you're thinking, oh, it does. It's that long stretch. The longer the races, it's almost it's almost reversed. The longer the race is, speeds tends to hold up. I mean, because the pace doesn't ensue, because even the horses that want to go to the front, they're going to the front, but know they have to go so far that they're trying to slow it down up front. So it's funny. It's more it's more speedballs and, t- and, and stalkers to the point that they're sitting right behind the pace setter. And generally speaking, the pace in these long races doesn't set it up for the closer that's coming from far back. Interesting. I, that's definitely not the way I would think about it. Like I said, I would kind of think about it the other way. So I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that and kind of set me straight a little bit there. And I'll write up a preview for the Santa Anita Derby over at bangthebook.com. I'll write up some thoughts on the other races as well, like this Gold Cup race, uh, like the Santa Anita Oaks. You've got a very, very, very expensive Bob Baffert horse, I believe in the sixth race, Cezanne or Cezanne, whatever it's, however it's pronounced. Very expensive horse there, a daughter, a son of Curlin. That will be a horse that gets a lot of run, one that you may want to watch down the line here, running six and a half furlongs here for the first time this weekend. Uh, but I'll write up a lot of that stuff over at bangthebook.com. And something else over at the website right now, preview of the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 down at Atlanta Motor Speedway. First time outside of the Carolinas here. Uh, aside from that Bristol race that we had over the weekend, and that Bristol race, man, Short track, we figured things would be a, a little bit chaotic and sort of played out that way with Elliott and Logano coming together there with three laps to go. The racing in NASCAR, good for them. I mean, these races have been spectacular. No fans, but they've done their job, uh, provided entertainment, something for us to bet on. And in this particular race, uh, boy, you hate to be a chalk eater, but I will tell you, at the Atlanta Motor Speedway, of late, it's been a two-horse race. Brad Kozlowski, you know, has a couple of wins here of late, and he'd be the first one to tell you that good fortune was a big part of both of those wins. But he's also had some really good success at Atlanta Motor Speedway. So, you know, he should be in the hunt. But I'd just say to you that last year, uh, this race, Kozlowski was the winner and let me just double check. Kevin Harvick was fourth. The year prior to that, Kevin Harvick was the winner. The year before that, Kozlowski was the winner. Are you, are you catching the trend here? You know who actually has run well here, had a couple of wins, and he's kind of fallen off the map in terms of getting in the winner's circle. But Jimmy Johnson won back-to-back years in 2015, 2016. His car is actually really good this year, and he's been a contender I think there's a price play opportunity with Jimmy Johnson this week. But to me, the race is all about Kevin Harvick. 
because it, it just seems on a weekly basis he's got a car that's a rocket sled. That's the thing. You know, a lot of drivers have had speed this year across all three manufacturers, as we've talked about. I mean, Chevy's shown, shown great speed. Chase Elliott's been a factor in every race he's been in. Alex Bowman's got a couple of wins already. Even a guy like Kurt Busch has been quite a factor. And Kurt Busch has been pretty damn good at Atlanta as well. He's in a few top fives here recently. He's in that 13 and a half, 14 to 1 range. Uh, Clint Boyer is a number that's really come down here. Uh, he's with Ford, but that's come down from, that was up in the 45 range early in the week, down to 20 to 1 now. So if you were able to take advantage of that one, that was a good price play to grab. But man, I'll tell you what, you know, we're back on a one and a half mile track here. And he hasn't had the best of cars. He hasn't been talked about at all. I've got a sneaking suspicion that Martin Truex Jr. is up around the front of the pack here this weekend. So maybe not to win, but again, obviously you've got all those different group matchups available. I don't know what it is. Joe Gibbs Racing hasn't been as dominant this year. Kyle Busch still doesn't have a win. But Truex in that history on one-and-a-half-mile tracks, I'm kind of starting to come around to him a little bit. Yeah, he's contending, and he's running up there. It just seems like he's a cylinder off or something. He's there. But he, he just doesn't seem to be one of the dominant cars, and he's and he's had calamities and, and stuff like that goes in streaks. You know, the one guy I, it, we really can't talk about any race right now without saying, and I and I I was saying this at the beginning of the year, and it may very well be this year. I w- I would make a play. I think it could be this year. I, there's not a doubt in my mind. In subsequent years, he could win in consecutive years. Chase Elliott, I think, can win win the championship. But Elliott's contending every week, every week. And you can make the case he should have won the last three races. Yeah. Yeah, you can. I mean, he's, he's been right there week after week after week. Two, ac- two accidents on the final lap twice. When I mean, he was going to win the one race when Bush took him out. Absolutely, he was winning that race. That was a given. Hamlin was on older tires. He was going to pass him in the next half lap. And then the skies opened up. And then... You know, he made a mistake this time around. He dove into the corner too hard, and he and Logano got tangled up at the tail end of that race. But the bottom line is, Elliott's sitting right there with a chance to win every race. Well, and I think that this one should be really interesting because, again, you're you're just over a mile and a half, and as we know, Charlotte's a mile and a half track. But you know, the races at Charlotte were definitely very interesting. You've got Darlington where it's kind of a – it's 1.366 miles or whatever. It's sort of intermediate in a way – kind of a tighter racing surface. Then you get Bristol, where you get, you know, a, a more condensed track. We see what happens. You get a lot of cautions. You get a lot of rubbing, a lot of tight racing. Now we're back on another mile-and-a-half track where we generally don't get a lot of cautions. So I'm curious to see here, you know, no practice, no qualifying again. Is this all about the car? Or because we don't know where the racing grooves are and stuff like that, do we get maybe a more calamity-filled mile-and-a-half race. I, I'm not sure. Well, you know, if we get the speed race, then the favorites hold up, like you've talked about with a Harvick, like an Elliott, something like that. If we get a little bit more, you know, a little bit more variance, then things could get really interesting. Well, it's mostly about the car. Uh, you know, I mean, and then pit strategies can help you out. Like, And again, we talked about this before. Kozlowski, they do alternative pit strategies. They find ways for him to hang around races and he's won two of them because of it he was just there when stuff happened in front of him 
But in terms of the dominant cars, I'll give you a guy that just seems to, for whatever reason, the car seems to go away on him as the races progress. But a guy that's had one of the top three cars in the last, whatever it's been, three weeks, is Alex Bowman. I mean, Bowman's car has been dominant at times in in the first half, two-thirds of races, and then it kind of gets away from them. But, I mean, eight to one, I hate the price. But he's had a car that's been a contender. But if you're saying to me eight to one or Jimmy Johnson at 16 to one, who's been in contention with a resume of having won here before, I think I think Jimmy Johnson's a little appealing this week. But I, I to me, if Harvick's car's right, he's going to win. He he, he Harvick is really he's a horse for course kind of guy. I mean, you, you, the Phoenix race, you you know, you don't even bother betting to win. You bet group matchups. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Brian, how can people check out those two shows of yours? Thanks, bud. On Twitter, Brian Blessing, we put the shows out, and noon to two. KSHP.com, noon to 2 Pacific time. Uh, we got all the top sports book directors in Las Vegas and the hockey show. Uh, we've really had terrific guests. Golden Knights owner Bill Foley came, uh, was on the show last Friday. Really just a really cool conversation with him. So we get great guests from the hockey world. It's a lot of fun. And I put the links to the shows out as well, as I said, on my Twitter. Uh, at Brian Blessing. Not very creative, but it works. That's all right. It's good. It's good to know that people can find you on Twitter at Brian Blessing. Of course, find you on Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, sportsbookradio.com, kshp.com. Always a pleasure, Brian. Thank you so much for joining me, especially with the uh, schedule switch here. Thank you so much for that. And we'll talk to you again uh, next week. All right, pal. Always fun, Adam. Have a good day. There you go. There's Brian Blessing. Once again, at Brian Blessing on Twitter, sportsbookradio.com, kshp.com for his two shows. Coming up on our Monday edition of the Better's Box, I'll chat more about the KBO. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again on Monday.